Hey, this is Eric, and you're listening to the Story Church Podcast. Our podcast features audio from Sunday mornings at Story Church in Peru, Indiana, a community on the mission of connecting people's story to God's story. If you'd like to connect with us further, check out storyperu.com. Our hope is that today's episode helps you take your next step on your faith journey. Uh, hey, we are wrapping up this series today called Finding Freedom. It's been fun uh, these past few weeks as we've talked about it. We kicked it off on the 4th of July, but like Daryl said, it is not about America or patriotism or camo pants or anything like that. Uh, but rather, we're taking a look over these weeks about what it looks like for us to experience freedom in our faith. That uh, actually freedom is meant to be an essential component of what it looks like for us to live out faith in Jesus. And so we've kind of talked about that, and uh, we're at the last week today, so in case you're like just joining us, or you've slept since then, or whatever, I'm going to give you a quick recap of where we've been before we jump into where we're going today. But on week one, and every week since, we've uh, started with the same common ground, which is these two things that are true of all of us. We all believe freedom is good, and we all really want it. Like, nobody in the room today, I think, would say, like, no, you can take some freedom away from me. Like, you take control. I said that in the first service, and there was a family in the room with, like, little kids, and I thought, like, mom might have decision fatigue. (laughs) She might be like, you can take some freedom, just decide, do something with these children. But most of us, we don't want to give away our freedom, do we? We want to make our own choices. We want to control our own schedule. This is why we kind of bristle a little bit when somebody tells us what to do. Even if we, like, know that they're right, we just don't like it that they told us because we want to be free to find it on our own. So we said that we all really want freedom, uh, but then when it comes to faith, often our experience of faith feels like the opposite of that. It can feel like faith is about a guy like me with a microphone telling you what to do or telling you what you can do or what you can't do in God's eyes. And somewhere along the way, most of us have picked up this idea that faith is actually really restrictive on our lives, that faith is about the thou shalts and thou shalt nots or the checking off the right boxes or making sure you get it right with God. But the freeing truth that we talked about in week one is simply that faith is actually all about freedom that specifically faith in Jesus means that we're free from the trap of trying to prove ourselves good enough to God, that that we don't have to work harder or do better or keep the rules every day to be accepted and loved by God, but because of what Jesus did for us, he showed us a way that we can have a relationship with God, even with our flaws, even with our mistakes, and there's nothing you can do that's too bad for God to love you, and there's nothing good enough that you can do to make him love you anymore. That's the incredible freeing truth we talked about Uh, in week one. And then on week two, we talked about how we take that freedom and we actually apply it in our relationships with other people. Because not only do we sometimes try and prove ourselves to God, but all of us can be guilty from time to time of wanting the approval of other people. Some of the silliest things we ever do or wear happen because we're trying to impress somebody. Isn't that true? But we said on week two that we actually have the freedom to make God's approval our first priority. That we're actually free to start there. That God calls us loved just as we are, that everything that we desperately want, we can actually find in and from our relationship with God. And when we live out of that approval, it actually frees us to not seek the approval of others, but we can actually love and relate to them in a healthy way. So we can start with God's approval over our lives. Then last week, we kind of went there a little bit and talked about some of the aspects of faith that do feel limiting or do feel restrictive. Some of those warning labels that are kind of found in scripture or the rules or the instructions that God gives that feels like man, it's supposed to hold us back. And and we acknowledge that all of us feel this temptation to find out where the line is, right? We wonder like, okay, if there's a limit, how far can I push before I hit it? And, And so last week we said that there's actually a better question we can ask, that rather than asking like, what can I do or what can I get away with or how far is too far or is it a sin if, 
that the better question for us to ask is what do I want to be true of my life down the road? Like, what do I want to harvest down the road? And in doing so, it helps us pay attention to the things we're planting today, to the decisions that we're making today that will ultimately shape our future. Because what we said last week is that how you use your freedom actually determines how much freedom you have later. That we can make choices now that maybe feel like they're an expression of freedom, but they can actually limit us down the road. Choices that have bad consequences. And we all probably know somebody who's done that, right? They pursued maybe what seemed like a good desire, uh, but maybe in the wrong place, and it ultimately created their own prison, and they found themselves trapped, whether that was a cycle of addiction or some kind of struggle that they just carry with them to this day. So it's important for us to figure that out and to get it right. But today, as we wrap things up, I actually want to shift our focus a little bit. Uh, because the past few weeks, we've talked a lot about me, me, and me. Right? We talked about how my freedom, uh, it, as it relates to God, is that I can be free to receive his approval. That week two, we can be free from the approval of others. But that's still kind of about me rather than others, right? And then last week, we talked about how you can be free to make choices that are good for your future. Uh, but today, we're going to shift the focus, and we're going to talk about how our freedom actually impacts other people rather than ourselves. And that might feel a little countercultural or a little surprising because the truth is freedom can feel very individualistic. It's just like baked into our culture, this idea of us being self-made people and experiencing and loving our freedom. It even sneaks into the way that we talk about freedom. We talk about my freedom, right? My rights, my choices, the things that I want to do. Uh, we even say phrases that like freedom isn't free or, or that we need to defend our freedoms. And while there's nothing inherently wrong with those phrases, in fact, there's a lot of truth to some of those phrases. If we're not careful, we can slip into this like every man for himself or every woman for him, herself reality about freedom. In other words, uh, there's something that everybody wants, freedom, and it's in high demand, that's the everybody wants it part. Like everybody wants it. And when we're in a situation like that, typically nobody plays nice, right? When there's something that everybody wants and it doesn't seem like uh, there's enough to go around, typically we don't play nice with one another and we do what we have to do to get what we want. And I would be willing to bet you've had an experience like this at some point along the way. If you've ever gone shopping at Christmas time, right? What is in high demand that everybody wants when they're pulling into the mall at Christmas time? Parking spots. <laughs> Right, so you're pulling in, especially if you're like me and you wait till Christmas Eve and go, oh no, and then you drive to the mall, there's probably one spot and five cars and you do what you need to do to get that spot, don't you? Right? It's every person for themselves in that situation and you might cut off grandma or show them the Hawaiian good luck sign or whatever it may be as you get in to your spot. But if you've ever arrived at Chick-fil-A, right, you're like me and you love some Chick-fil-A, maybe you drive down to Indy, but you arrive five minutes before breakfast ends, You've been in an every person for themselves situation because there's only so many chicken minis to go around, right? And maybe you're getting in line and you're like, Grandma, you can get like a chicken sandwich. I'm getting my breakfast and you're throwing elbows and whatever it may be. I, I was thinking about these moments where it's every person for themselves and I actually experienced one just a couple of days ago. Uh, as you guys know, I'm a musician and I love music. In fact, the past few years as we've navigated this whole pandemic thing, one of the things I think I've missed the most is going to concerts and experiencing uh, live music. And so this weekend I got the opportunity to go down to Deer Creek or Ruoff or whatever you want to call it, uh, down in Noblesville and see Chris Stapleton live in concert. It was an awesome show. Uh, but something you need to know if you're like not into concerts or it's been a minute, uh, at Ruoff there's at least two ways that you can experience the show, two primary ways. You can pay a little more 
and you can have a nice little fold-out seat, and you don't have to get there early. Like, you arrive basically at showtime or whenever you want to. Your seat is reserved for you, and you can sit, and you can enjoy the show. That's a great way to do things. What I prefer to do is to go the other route and to end up in the lawn. So the lawn is all that grass out there with all those wonderful hillbillies. And uh, basically, the lawn is a free-for-all. Like, you pay for admission, but you don't have a seat. And so what you have to do is you've got to get to your spot. And uh, what I've done for years with concerts is rather than like showing up when the gates open, what me and my friends typically do is we find out when the parking lot opens. Okay, and so we show up as soon as we can park a car and we get there and we get out and we get in line and we wait often for hours until they open the gate and let you get in to get your spot. And I do have a like, designated spot that I try and get. Uh, I don't know if you can see that pillar there that says F. There's another one that says G. That's the spot okay, that we try and get. It's like front of the row, right there. Uh, but I had this experience this past week where uh, I was a little fired up because uh, it's every man for himself out there. And, and we were in line. I was already a little grumpy because uh, back in my day, you could get up to the gate right before they open them, like right at the gate. But security, COVID, all that important stuff. like they've pushed us back a little farther, so I was kind of mad about that, because that's not how it was when I was in high school. And uh, also, they've made it now, this is just me ranting, this is not where we're going, but they've made it now to where people can pay for an upgrade, and they just bypass the whole line, so they get in early. And I'm like, no, you pay your dues to get that spot. Anyway, my problem to deal with. Uh, so we were waiting, we had done our time, we were ready to go, get into the gate. I had my like mobile ticket, and I'm I was figuring out how to use it because I'm at that tipping point of technology where I'm still pretty savvy, but it's a little harder than I think it should be. Uh, and I took it up and I scanned it and I went to take my first step to walk with a purpose because you can't run either. There's got large guys in yellow shirts who say like, don't walk or don't run, walk. So you have to walk with a purpose. And I was ready to take my first step to get to my spot. And all of a sudden I felt this like tug at my leg and I turned around and I was ready to throw a punch, pastorally, of course. Uh, but I turned around and, and I was like fired up and I realized it was a friend of mine who may be running sound today who uh, stepped on my flip-flop <laughs> and kept me from taking that first step. And I realized who it was. I didn't hit her because it's not good to hit anybody, let alone girls. But I had this moment where I was like, man, every man for himself is in me, right? Every person for themselves is in me in that moment. And I would be willing to bet You've had a moment like that too along the way, haven't you? Where, where you had to stand up for yourself or you felt like you had this need to fight for your right. We all know what it's like to be in a situation like that. But the danger is that type of situation or that type of mentality can actually start to shape our lives. It can start to shape the way we approach faith and the way that faith informs everything else about us because we can fall into what we've talked about before, but I would call a scarcity mindset where we believe that there is only so much to go around for all of us. And so whatever you get, you've got to hold on to with everything that you can. You've got to watch your back because people are coming to take what is yours or what you found. And if you've had this mentality as it relates to freedom, like maybe this is why you fight for the attention of someone because you know there's only so much attention that they have to give and, and you want to hold on to every bit that you can. Maybe this is why you fight to be recognized at work and you really want to get that promotion because you know you're a hard worker, but again, there's only so much to go around, and so you fight for it. Maybe this is why you fight with your spouse or your significant other about money, because there's only so much to go around, and maybe your values aren't her values or his values, and there's this tension because you have this scarcity mindset that can sneak in, but sometimes in life, it can feel like all you can do is fight for yourself. Right? And if you don't fight for yourself, nobody else is going to fight for you, and you might lose the freedom and the things that you love. And with that mindset, here's the tricky part. 
even though freedom is what we really want, it's also the thing we can never have, if that's our mindset along the way, because how can we feel free if we're constantly having to watch our backs? If we're constantly having to look out for somebody and to constantly fight for our place, we're never really free from that trap if we fall into it. And, and if we fall into this mindset, I think it's easy for all of us to start keeping tabs on others, to start seeing like how we measure up and if we have enough or, or if they're getting more and they have what's mine. And, and so if it's freedom that's like influenced by how we measure up to other people, it's not really freedom, is it? Because you're not in control, they are. If they have more than you, there's a problem, there's a tension along the way. And so it feels more like a trap or more like control. What I wanna do today is the same thing that we've done the past few weeks. And I wanna hopefully reframe this idea of freedom from every person for themselves to a different way, to, to what I would say is a better way, to the Jesus way, the way Jesus modeled that we can actually live and have freedom. And freedom doesn't have to mean every person for themselves. And just like we've done the past several weeks, uh, kind of as our guide in the conversation, we're gonna jump into the book of Galatians, which is found uh, in the New Testament. It's actually one of the oldest uh, documents in the New Testament that we have. And uh, every week as we've jumped into this, I've tried to remind us that the context of this book is really important for us to understand the content of it. Understanding where it came from helps us understand how to apply it in our lives. And before this book was chaptered and versed and leather bound with red letters or whatever, before it was held in the Bible, it was a letter to a group of people in a region called Galatia. Before it was the book of Galatians in the Bible, it was an actual letter to actual people at an actual time. And it's really important as you read through scripture to remember that, that we're kind of eavesdropping in a conversation that was happening with real people in a specific context, scattered all throughout the ancient world. And as we read these letters, we have to remember that like we're observers to whatever they were struggling through, whatever they were navigating through. And it certainly applies to us and it can help shape our faith, but knowing what they were facing helps us navigate what we do as well. And so in Galatia, Paul helped start the church there. It was this region, there was a diverse group of people who lived there, and what he started doing was teaching this message that Jesus showed up to show everybody what God was like. His message was that because God is loving and good and forgiving and desires to be close to us, essentially Paul was saying there was no reason for these Jesus followers or, or these people who are trying to figure it out, there was no reason for them to follow a specific, strict Jewish law anymore to prove anything to God, that Jesus made a way to be free from that. But after Paul left that region, another group of teachers came in, and this group of teachers started teaching something different than what Paul said. These teachers believed that there actually were still certain commands from the Jewish law, the 600-something odd rules that are found in the first half of the Bible, the Old Testament. They said some of those commands actually still needed to be obeyed and still needed to be followed for the Galatians to truly follow Jesus. And so they were confused. They were being pulled in two different directions, and Paul wasn't happy about it either. Because on one level, on the surface level, maybe he was in every man for himself mode, and his authority was being challenged. These people showed up, and they're saying, hey, he's wrong. There's a different way. But that wasn't the only reason Paul was fired up about this. Paul was passionate about the message of Jesus, and a big part of the message that Paul was trying to move forward was about the freedom that Jesus offers, that you could actually be free from that rule-keeping way of relating with God. But these teachers weren't teaching a message of freedom. They showed up teaching a message that was all about following certain rules. And so Paul writes this letter to this group of believers in Galatia with all of that controversy in mind. And the tension is the backdrop to everything he says because Paul knows that the stakes are really high for them to get this right. 
And I think Paul would say for us today, the stakes are really high for us to get this right because Paul knew that if you allow yourself to start, believe that you, start believing that you have to work to earn God's love and God's grace and God's acceptance, then you're starting to miss the entire point of why Jesus came. That you're starting to miss the entire point that Jesus came to tell us we didn't need to do any of that, that God's love and God's acceptance are already ours because of what Jesus did for us. But not only that, but I think Paul was fired up and Paul knew the stakes were high because not only does this shape our relationship with God and our personal faith, but Paul knew that it could shape our relationship with other people as well if we got this wrong. Because the truth is, when you start to see yourself as a person who needs to earn God's love and God's grace, typically you also start to see other people as needing to do the same thing. If you fall into that trap of believing that you have to somehow prove yourself or, or measure up or earn God's love, often we also apply those same unwieldy rules to other people too. And we can get in this spot where, honestly, most of us tend to be most critical of other people in the areas where we are least secure about ourselves. Like, isn't that true? The things, that I would be willing to bet, if you're like me, the things that bother you the most about other people, if you really drill down on it, are also the things that bother you about you. They're also the things that you struggle with and, and aren't super okay with with you. And so, uh, honestly, that's okay maybe on an everyday basis as we just kind of struggle to be humans and relate with one another, but this can lead to really dangerous, really bad things that, as a church leader, I, I'm well aware of it because sometimes in the church, guys with microphones like me are really loud and really proud and will really like lay out the rules about certain things. I mean, in our culture, the topic of sexual immorality is always a really hot and heavy one for church leaders to say this is right and this is wrong, but haven't we seen in recent days that sometimes the leaders who are the loudest about their opinions on these matters are also the ones who are struggling the most, are the ones who lack integrity the most in these areas? Isn't it often true that the people who can be the most legalistic are also the ones who are the most self-critical, are the ones who are struggling to receive the acceptance of God in the first place? So this tendency is dangerous. And here's what Paul says to the church in Galatia and I think to the church today about how we can navigate this tendency for all of us. He says, for you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, Use your freedom to serve one another in love. So there's his message again, right? Paul's saying, hey, you are meant to live in freedom. That's why Jesus came. That's what he's offering to you. But he, he acknowledges that there's this temptation for all of us to actually use that freedom in a selfish way, in a sinful way, in a me first kind of a way. And he says that that's not the way of Jesus at all. And I think the thing that Paul is trying to highlight for these people and for us today, the thing that we need to be aware of is that how you use your freedom actually affects other people. How you use your freedom impacts others. And so there's this message that Paul pushes through this letter again and again and again, that you are called to live in freedom, and he's determined to make sure we don't forget that. But he also acknowledges that we have a temptation to take that freedom and to abuse it to take that freedom and to use it to satisfy our own selfish longings, to benefit ourselves, to improve our status, to make ourselves look the best and to operate like it's every person for themselves. But he says, don't do that. Don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. But there's an alternative that he offers, and it's this. It's to use your freedom to serve one another in love. And Paul took this so seriously that he actually goes on and he makes a radical statement that honestly you may have heard before, but we kind of gloss past it. Paul goes on to say this, that the whole of the law 
can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. And remember who Paul's writing to. He's writing to these very confused early Christians trying to figure out, like, what do we do with the Jewish law? What do we do with these things that God has spoken, that God instructed his people to do at a certain time in a certain place that, that people actually used to do to relate with God? Like, the stakes are high. This is how people practice their faith. And they're trying to figure out, what do we do with all of that? And there's this group of people who came in, and they said, you got to keep the rules. you got to, like, live up to it. In fact, maybe we'll make up some new ones. Like, the rules are everything. And Paul shows up, and he puts it all on the table. And he says, okay, you say there's more laws that need to be obeyed? Well, I say that the whole law is summed up in one law. The whole law is summed up in one command, and that command is loving each other. And if you're like, wow, was Paul just like trying to shock them all into listening? Like, was that his mic drop moment? Where did he get such a radical idea? Well, the truth is Paul got this radical idea from Jesus himself. Because one time, Jesus was asked a similar question. Jesus was asked, hey, what's at the heart of following God? Like, like there's all those laws, 600-something, I can't keep them straight. What's the most important one? What does God want from people who try to follow him? And Jesus replies, and he says this, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment, and the second is like it. In other words, it's equal. They're all one in the same, to also love your neighbor as yourself. And this next line that Jesus says, again, we kind of gloss over it. It's like the footnote to what he says, because we're like, yeah, love God, love people. I get that part. But that last line, Jesus says, is such a radical statement. In this moment, Jesus was changing for everyone what it looked like to relate to God because he says all of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. This might feel a little technical and Bible nerdy, but I really want you to get this today. Like what Jesus is doing in that moment is crazy because what he calls the law and the prophets, we would call the Old Testament, like that real thick first half of your Bible. That's the law, like Deuteronomy and all that stuff that we struggle to read sometimes because it's weird laws about weird things. And then the prophets, like the accounts of different prophets' lives in the story of the people of God or the people of Israel. He's referring to the Old Testament and the Old Covenant, this very sacred way that people for generations related to God. And what he says is like, hey, all of that hangs on these two equal ideas, that you should love God and you should love your neighbor. And I want to show you what that looks like visually, just like to really drive it home. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying all of the law and all of the prophets hangs on these two principles. All of the rule keeping we try and fall into, right? Pick your favorite verse from the list. All of those standards that we try and beat other people over the head with, all of it actually hangs from the love, your God, love God and love your neighbor reality. And so, in other words, he's saying all of that, right, Genesis through Malachi, it's commentary to the one command of loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. That's a radically new idea that Jesus introduced, that all of it could be summed up to this one thing. And Paul goes on in his letter, and he makes another radical statement, teasing out this thing that Jesus taught and here's what he says. He says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision have any value. 
And all the men like sit back in their seat a little bit, right? <laughs> We're not really talking about that because when he says circumcision or uncircumcision, he's saying following Jewish laws or not following Jewish laws, right? Following the law or not following the law. He says in Christ Jesus, none of that has any value. And he makes this radical statement that we gloss over that the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. I mean, really? The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love? I think if there's a concept that Jesus followers need to grab onto in 2022, it's that the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love, meaning it's not every person for themselves. Right, meaning that you, you don't have to compete to be better than others, but rather, as Paul said, you should use your freedom to serve one another because the only thing at the end of the day that counts in your life and in your faith is faith expressing itself through love. And, and look, he knows that we probably need to get a picture of what it looks like when it's wrong to really understand it. So Paul goes on in his letter and, and he says this. He says, but if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. And in our world today, do you see any biting and devouring going on? I mean, let's be honest. In our churches today, do you see any biting and devouring going on? It's everywhere. It's in the water. And I think all of us are guilty of falling into it. All of us can get pulled into this. What, what Paul is saying is there's, there's more on the line than your freedom. There's more on the line than just you and your faith, but the well-being of other people is on the line when we don't use our freedom in a way that's good for them too. When we use our freedom to be selfish, other people don't get the things that they need. When we use our freedom to say whatever we want, we hurt other people along the way. We begin to live in a way where it's every person for themselves, and Paul is saying that's dangerous, right? When you start biting and devouring one another, here's the thing about freedom. You can use it however you want. The choice is yours. That's what makes it freedom, right? You can decide what you do, and so you can use it to love people or you can use it to hurt people. And Paul's telling us that like, our standing before God, what God thinks about us, it's not at risk based on our behavior. That, that we don't have to fight and we don't have to struggle to get God's approval, but that doesn't mean that how we use our freedom doesn't have consequences. In other words, like, sure, you can be free to talk about others, about the things that bother you and annoy you and make you angry. If you have a Facebook account, you probably do, right? You, you can be free to judge the good or the bad behavior of other people. You can be free to tear other people down and, and to bring attention to the way that everybody else is getting it wrong and how could those people and it's that group, not this group. You're free to do that. You can be free to make fun of one another and, and to laugh at each other. Paul's saying that is all permissible, but there are consequences. It'll cost you, and ultimately, it will cost others. And eventually, it will do exactly what Paul says. It will destroy you, and it will destroy others along the way. Because this every person for themselves way of living causes you to tear others down to make yourself look better. H haven't we seen this happening all over the place? Ultimately, you hurt, you hurt others, and you hurt your own ability to love others because you get stuck in that cycle of thinking you're better than or, or that you don't struggle with or, or that you have the right to. And again, you have the freedom, but that freedom has consequences and your freedom is actually connected to their freedom too. My freedom is actually connected to their freedom 
too along the way. And what Paul is getting at for the church in Galatia, and I think what Paul's getting at for the church of today, is that real freedom is found in loving others. That that's the spot where real freedom is found. And believe me when I tell you, like you and I don't want to live in a world where nobody's looking out for other people. You and I don't actually want to live in the world where it's every person for themselves, even though we can all get sucked into it. We're called to use our freedom for something better. Or you could think of it in this way, that you're not just freed from something. In Jesus, you're actually freed for something too. Right? We talked about on week one that you're freed from the trap of seeking God's approval because God already gives it through what he did in Jesus. Like you already have it. So you're freed from that. You're freed from the guilt and the shame of whatever you did that, that you feel is wrong and, and that you've struggled with, maybe that God even says is wrong. You're free from that, but it doesn't stop there. If you really want to follow Jesus, you're freed for something too. You're freed for the sake of others. You're free for others and for their goods, and you can live in the freedom that Jesus gave you and use that freedom to love others, putting an end to the everyone-for-themselves way of life. And friends, that's what we're called to do. That's who we're called to be. And so I think the natural question today, right, as we're wrapping up this conversation, maybe feeling a little bit of tension in the room, I think the question for all of us, me included, is how are you doing with it? Like really, how are you doing with this? Are you using your freedom to put others first? Or have you drifted into me first? Have you drifted into like, I've got to hold on to what I've got? Instead of fending for yourself, are you fending for others? Or, or is it all about you? Like, have you drifted into this? <laughs> I was thinking about just the reality of how Paul is describing what faith is meant to look like, and I was reminded of uh, playing freeze tag. Anybody remember freeze tag? Right? It's a pretty simple game. Uh, actually, sometimes on Fridays, it's like my day off, but uh, I watch Eden, my daughter, and sometimes I have to come in to like pick up something or I left something or whatever. And, and so there was one Friday this past year that we came in and uh, there were people out in the lobby and Eden wanted to play freeze tag. I, she was like really into it. So we started trying to play it. Eden did not understand the rules of freeze tag at all. So like she kept tagging people and they would freeze and she's like, why aren't you chasing me? Because <laughs> like, you're it and I'm frozen and you don't know how it works. But in case you need a reminder, in freeze tag, somebody is it, right? And if they tag you, you freeze. And the only way that you can unfreeze, if somebody who is still free comes and tags you, right? right? The people who are free have the responsibility, have the job to try and free the frozen people. And, and here's the thing, if you play freeze tag, every person for themselves, guess what's gonna happen? You're gonna lose because eventually it will catch you, right? Like you'll get frozen and then they'll get frozen and then they'll get frozen and then they'll get frozen. So the only way to really have a chance in playing the game is if the people who are free use their freedom to help free others. You see where I'm going with this? That's what Paul's saying. He's saying that's kind of what faith is supposed to be like. And friends, there's people in this community who are not free. There's people like maybe in our church who aren't free. People who have gotten hung up on something or caught in a bad decision and they're feeling the consequences of it. Maybe people who don't understand what the grace and love of Jesus can actually feel like when a person lives it out. There are people here who are frozen and those of us who are free are the ones who can free them. It's what we're called to do. Real freedom is found in loving others. And listen, I get it. This goes against our natural instinct, right? I'm the guy who about swung a punch when my flip-flop got stuck on, like stepped on. Like, Paul says that that's why this kind of living comes from God, 
not from us, because sometimes our natural impulses aren't the best, right? Because we're all broken and we're all messed up. So we need God to be the source of our approval, to be the one who gives us freedom from our broken selves, and then to live in that freedom in a way that actually leads to freedom for us and freedom for others. We can be free from the drive to be perfect if we understand that our freedom is for others, not for ourselves. We can be free from trying to win the approval of others, and we can be free from fighting to put ourselves first, because instead we can use our freedom for other people. And and here's the thing. When Paul says that the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love, he doesn't say the only thing that counts is faith. Because sometimes there's there's faith communities that, that would say that, like, you just got to have faith, and that's, that's all that matters. But faith that doesn't feel obligated to express itself through love expresses itself through manufactured religious routines. You can have faith that doesn't express itself to love, and it might get you in a seat every Sunday. It might even feel good for an hour or so, depending on how I do, right? But then Monday, you can go to work, and you can be terrible to your coworker. You can post whatever you want on Facebook, and you can think there's no consequences to it. You can choose to use your freedom however you want, but it's not faith expressing itself through love. It's a faith that really doesn't mean anything at the end of the day. Faith that's disconnected from love is just legalism under a different name, right? It's just rule-keeping where we have our eye to the sky and we're holding on to our vertical relationship with God, but we're not doing anything to allow it to shape our horizontal interactions with one another. And Paul and Jesus say that that's not what it's all about. That new covenant, this new relationship that Jesus introduced for all of us is about expressing itself, working itself out through love. Or another way to say that is that your faith in God is best authenticated and demonstrated by the way that you treat other people, the way that you actually love the you next to you. And so here's the thing. How are you doing with it? (laughs) And if you're like me, and maybe you're like, I probably have some room to grow, right? I, I, I have dipped my toe in the cultural water of me first, and, and I could grow a little bit in that. Here's my challenge to you today. It, it's really simple, but it might cost you something. It, and it's simply this. Try it, right? What if this week you tried to put somebody in front of you? What if this week you tried to put the needs of somebody else above your own needs? You have nothing to prove to God. He's already accepted you. He's already approved of you. He's already given you everything that is his. He's offering it all to you. You have nothing to prove, so you don't have to look out for yourself in that way. It doesn't have to be me first, but rather we can look out for others, and that is what freedom really looks like, and that's where we really find it. So what if this week you let somebody else go first? What if this week that coworker, right, the one who drives you crazy, who's jockeying for that same position as you, what if you let them? Right? What if you let them get some attention, get some recognition? What will it cost you? Maybe the attention that you don't need because you already have approval from your Heavenly Father, right? But what will it gain you? What could it do in your heart and in your faith to actually live out love in that way? What if you let somebody have what they need because you already have more than you need? Right? I mean, we, we all have so much more than we think, or most of us have so much more than we think. What if you let somebody else have what they need because you already have what you need? If it's still too foggy or too ambiguous, uh, there's really good news because Paul wrote more than one letter 
And all throughout the New Testament, Paul writes letters basically trying to help people understand what it looks like to live out this one commandment of loving God and loving other people. And all along the way, he instructs what Jesus instructed for us to love one another the way that Jesus loves us. And so if you go through Paul's letters and and you just highlight everywhere that he says one another, like do this to one another, you would end up with a list that would look something like this. Something that says submit to one another, forgive one another, encourage one another, restore one another, accept one another, care for one another, bear with one another, and carry one another's burdens. And I think if you and I were able to sit across the table from the Apostle Paul and say, hey, like faith expressing itself through love, what does that really look like? I think he might show us this list. It's at least a good starting point. And if you're like, well, where did you get that? Like, where did you come up with this idea? All you have to do is tag on to each of those phrases just as Christ has done for you. Right? Submit to one another just as Christ has done for you. Forgive one another as Christ has done for you. Encourage one another. And on and on and on you can go because every single one of those things are the things that we have access to through God thanks to what he did through Jesus. And here's the point. You were given freedom not so that you would get something from others, but to do something for them. And that something could look like one anothering one another, right? That's what love is meant to look like for the Jesus follower, and that's what freedom is meant to be used for. So faith, it's about freedom. You're free from having to get God's approval. You already have it in Jesus. You're free from living of the trap that's getting your approval from other people because only God can satisfy those deepest desires in each of us. And you're free to make choices for your future that set you up to win along the way. But at the end of the day, it's a freedom that's meant to be used to free others. And just for a second, like once again, I want to invite you to imagine with me a world where people were maybe skeptical of what we believe but they were envious of the way that we treated each other because we learned to one another one another, right? Like imagine a world where where unbelievers, people who don't know what they think about Jesus and who feel like the resurrection's crazy and don't know what in the world we're doing here on a Sunday because we could be sleeping right now, right? Like, Like people who are like, what are these Christians all about would be the first to want to hire us or work for us, or have their daughters date us, right? like to live next door to Christians because they saw how well we one anothered one another and how well we one anothered people who were nothing like us. Can you imagine that that's possible? Once upon a time it was. And that's the very thing that caused this movement and this mission of Jesus to spread like wildfire. The church in its earliest days was popular, not because of their theology. People thought it was a cult, they thought it was crazy but they saw the impact that they were making in the lives of their neighbors, the influence that they were having in the community as they cared for and as they loved for people that nobody else was willing to love, and it was irresistible to them. People couldn't stay away as they saw love in action, as they saw faith expressing itself through love. And in that context, people who didn't believe the right things suddenly found themselves in church because it was irresistible to be around love like that, especially for children and for women and for vulnerable people. The church advocated for them in a remarkable way. And what was true then should be true today. What was true of them then should be true of us today. Paul's one another list should epitomize the life of every Jesus follower. And man, I I believe it's possible still. I believe it's possible for us to be like that. Like when people outside of the church think about all of us, sitting in these rows, 
Paul's list should be the thing that comes to their mind. One anothering, one another. We should be the best neighbors, the best employers, the best employees, the best partners, the best coaches, the best fill in the blank in the community, not because we're puffed up and we're arrogant, but because that's what love requires of us. And the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through love. So what if we just did that? Right? What if we just one anothered one another a little better? I mean, why wouldn't we? Because the only thing that's going to count as it relates to your freedom, as it relates to your faith, is that faith expressing itself tangibly through love for the people around you. So let me pray for you. God, this feels obvious when we talk about it like this, but it is so difficult. It's, it's the power of how you love us and how you call us to love because it is so simple and yet so demanding of our lives, and it is so countercultural to everything we see. And so God, for my friends in the room who think that they're free, but they're actually living in that bite and devour kind of way, God, I pray that they would stop it. I pray that you would set them free from it, that they wouldn't use their freedom for themselves and, and they wouldn't believe that, that it's everyone for themselves in this world, but rather I pray that all of us would understand that you've given us freedom to free others. You've given us freedom for the benefit of other people and God, for the rule keepers in the room, I get it. I mean, you gave us a lot of rules and we're all trying to figure it out, but help us understand that it all hinges on loving you and letting our love for you be expressed in our love for other people. And God, may Story Church be the oddest group of people in this community because we love so radically, because we include so radically, because we care for people so radically, because we do the things you called us to do as we one another, one another. God, it only happened by your power. So we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in or near the Peru, Indiana area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. To find directions, service times, and information about our environments for kids, visit us at storyperu.com.